All right, so yeah, since uh, last week we watched the Orville because I was like, hey, this is uh, this, the new Star Trek type show that's more like Star Trek than Star Trek. So then I thought for this week, well, why don't we just watch Star Trek? Fuck it. <laughs> you know, if we're going to watch, why, why not go to the, uh, the so actual these source? The original Star Treks? So I got one original series and one Next Generation because those to me are the two good Star Trek shows and, you know, the rest uh, varying levels of rapidly declining quality. <laughs> so, uh, I just grabbed whatever came to mind off the top of my head. So I was mentioning to you last week that I always liked that Next Generation episode that had Scotty in it. So I grabbed that yes. one because that's a nice connection. And for the original series, it's just this episode that I just know the name of. It's from the first season. It's called City on the Edge of Forever. And it was a little famous because it was written by Harlan Ellison, who's like a famous oh, ass. Oh, yes. Yeah. Famous. Famous uh, a science fiction writer. Right. So, I mean, all I really know about it is that he he had his complaints because he's like, they changed my script. And it's like, yeah, well, whatever, guy. It's TV. You got to get used to that. But I always hear it talked about as one of the famous episodes of Star Trek. Everybody's got it in their top five or whatever. But I don't know that I've ever seen it. So I'm like, hey, I'll just grab that one then, okay. you know? I probably have seen it. I can't connect the name with the show, but I think I've seen every one of those. Yeah. And I'm sure back in the day, like, nobody talked about the names of the episodes, right? Like that's like an internet nerd thing. Like when I used to be on Buffy forums and stuff, everybody knew the names of all the episodes, but I don't know if it even says it necessarily. You just have to be a nerd who researched. <laughs> this one might, maybe Star Trek says I mean, the title. on the edge of forever, like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> what a cool name. And yeah, how bad can it be? It's, uh, you know, it's, uh, it, it, this is definitely of, you know, there's the Star Treks that are famous for being really good, which is, this is one. And then you got like, uh, the one I always think of is like the, uh, there's these space hippies that play oh, music God. that kind of yes. pacifies everyone. Yeah, yes, and they, uh, they're always in a psychedelic trance and they walk right. around in the little short flower skirts and the beads and the lace and the long hair and oh, yeah, yeah. And, and the fur vests, the right. Sonny Bono vests. So I feel like you can split original Star Trek pretty cleanly down the middle that way. There's the good ones and there's the silly ones. Well, but, but that was what made it so successful. Every right. show was not serious, with a big serious moral. Some of them were just downright goofball, but that's what, it was that balance. They weren't taking themselves seriously. Some of them had excellent, excellent plots, but it was never like serious, let's drag you down kind of stuff. They'd always kind of balance it off with something like that. Those, like the one with the, the, the big pizzas, the one I'm always thinking about. Right. These creatures that were, were like a big slice of pizza with big pepperoni chunks hanging out of them. And there's uh, one clip that it's on the internet a lot of, uh, yeah, it must be Kirk, who else would it be, fighting like this... Uh, this lizard man, and it's that famous music, dun, 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 and he's doing this gladiator fight. And probably at the time, you're like, yeah, just a fight scene. But now people have isolated that of like, look how bad this fight scene is. It's horrible. But I'm sure the con in the context of the whole show, it was probably fine. But if you just watch it by itself, it's like, whoa. <laughs> but maybe too, that might help explain why the comedy in the Orville kind of works. Because even if original Star Trek didn't always mean to be funny, it was funny sometimes, so adding in humor kind of makes sense. But they, but they always had this banter back and forth, especially between McCoy and Spock, uh, McCoy and the captain. There was always a little bit of tongue-in-cheek uh, jargon going on, and the, and oftentimes even the serious shows ended off with that kind of foolish banter at the end. 
and that was that balance that they sought. So it didn't matter that the sets were kind of corny and the, okay, the hippie, the hippie stuff was was like in your face. I mean, everybody being so hippie, uh, it didn't matter because they would balance it off with the. Uh, and that's that's the sign of good drama. No matter how bad your sets are, or how cornball, people will sit back and accept that because of that balance that you've created. I think too, it kind of uh, you can kind of see that even in the movies, because like the first Star Trek movie was very serious and very long, and all these really slow shots of ships docking and stuff, which I don't think is what Star Trek was ever supposed to be. And I don't feel like anyone was really that into that first one. But by the fourth one, that's the one where they go back to Earth back in time to save the whales. And like Spock has to Vulcan neck pinch a, a weird punk rocker who's getting in their face. And like it's a little sillier and a little looser. And it's way more popular. And everyone likes that one way more. Because <laughs> yeah, you got to have some kind of balance if you take yourself too seriously. Which is weird. I mean, after when we get to Next Generation, Next Generation is very serious, but somehow they pull it off, yeah. which is weird. But we'll get to that after. Yeah. But they weren't the same as the the original Star Trek very often did did balance off. Like one week you'd have a, a very serious show, but it usually ended on a high note, a little bit of banter between these major characters. And they were always kind of putting each other down, but in a very good-hearted way. Right. Then the next week you'd get something that was completely cornball. So... Yeah, they they didn't take themselves seriously. Whereas Star Trek The Next Generation, what I've seen of it, is more of an intellectual thing. Um, They really do seriously talk about going into outer space and meeting all these creatures and defending these creatures and fighting for justice. Whereas in in the original Star Trek, yeah, that's kind of their... their mantra but <laughs> well that's a, that's yeah that's a, a definite point of difference is uh they make a big deal in next generation about the prime directive which is if a civilization has not learned how to be spacefaring yet you don't fuck with them you gotta let them develop on their own where uh if that ever was on the starfleet books in the original series they did not follow that rule kirk is always going down there yeah, fucking, fucking shit. and he's always meeting up with women and space women and having if not sex, there's definitely attraction. There's always attraction with him going on with whoever is living on those planets. I always remember, too, it's just this sort of silly stand-up comedy one-liner, but ever since I heard it, it's so true, is, you know, the the five-year mission to boldly go where no man has gone before. But every time they go somewhere, somebody's there waiting for them. <laughs> like that, it couldn't be less true. They've never gone somewhere where no one has gone before. <laughs> every week, someone's already there. So, <laughs> just weird that they make such a point of that every single time. Uh, the other thing I want to give credit to is uh, Leonard Nimoy. You know, maybe you could take him for granted when there was only the original Star Trek and then Next Generation had very few Vulcans. There wasn't really a lot of Vulcan stuff going on in that show. But then in the other shows, they keep trying to bring in Vulcans, and none of them felt like a Vulcan to me, because they their idea of being an intellectual Vulcan is to just be stiff and boring, where Leonard Nimoy brings a real subtle haughtiness to that role of, like, he really thinks he's better than humans. Because he's half human, half Vulcan. Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and we, we do at some point in the, in the original Star Trek get introduced to his father what was his name Sarek maybe does that sound right and his mother too but his mother is a human and that is why Spock struggles with his humanity so much and the emotions because he has he has both whereas he is supposed to be stiff and 
very robotic, uh, but because he's got this mixed blood, he's different. And uh, I read uh, I read his autobiography one time, and he was saying how uh, it's deceptively difficult even to play that kind of character because you know you're on set all day, these long days filming, and uh, to never express emotion, to just have to take after take, to always have to keep an even keel. He said like by the end of whatever, however their schedule worked, he was just like, fuck, this is like really tough, but how do you even explain to someone? There's no one else has to do that. No one else has to play this weird character. And especially if you're playing off against somebody like uh, William Shatner, who is, he's just so emotional and he is, you know, he's this sex magnet and, and he's uh yeah, I mean, he, 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 and he sometimes plays it way over the top. You're like, whoa, come on, like, down, boy, down. Um, he's, he's very dramatic. Uh, but that's the image that he, you know, he's the starship captain. He's <laughs> so, uh, yeah, to, to, to have to balance off with that. So then you bring McCoy in, who is like the foil between them. He's, he's kind of, not as as emotional, but more stoic than than maybe uh, than than Kirk is. <laughs> Damn it, Jim! I'm a doctor, not a diplomat. You know, <laughs> and uh, and I didn't really do any specific research because I feel like what can we say that people don't already know about Star Trek? But uh, but if I remember right, I think Uhura was the first interracial kiss on TV. It might have yes. been her and Kirk, probably. <laughs> and in fact, in those days. Um, she she was one of the first black TV stars that would have started up because later on you had um, oh all those other you know moving on up to the east side and all that stuff that came later. She in 1966 67 I think is when that show started. It was very unusual to have someone like her play a key role. Right. Not only was she a black black but she was also a woman. And she plays a very major part in in the Star Trek fleet. That's uh, the 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 head people there. She's just not uh, some little flitzy fluting around there kind of thing. Because they do have a whole lot of black people that come in and out of those shows. Uh, but she's she plays a major part, woman and black, and extremely you know beautiful and wearing a little short skirt that just barely covers her rump. Man, there was one episode where I don't know why whatever was happening, but she was wearing this like. Uh... I don't know, it was like a, a tribal dress, and she has, like, abs, and I'm like, holy fuck, <laughs> you're as hot as fuck. And it's a need to that nowadays, I feel like if you made a show where it's like, oh, we got a Russian guy, and we got an Asian dude, like, it would feel a little pandering, but back then, it was the opposite. It was like, of course they would. It's the future. <laughs> sure, <laughs> you know? and, it, and it's, uh, it's an international fleet that is traveling. It's, so you wouldn't just have white guys. But you have to, yeah, put it all back in the late 1960s when any of those people, well, a Russian guy, come on, we were still in the in the Cold War at that time, and to have a a, a Russian guy, like, yeah, that's kind of like a little off. And then you've got a Spock with those weird ears and no emotion, and uh, so really they've got quite a nice little cast of different characters you know it's one thing that's making me think of too is the uh yeah the little space mini skirts are very 60s ish but it's funny how uh when next generation started it actually started off on the wrong foot the first couple of years were a little bad and then it finally got good but they were trying to reconcile some of that stuff of like 
why would Starfleet have miniskirts in the future? So what they decided to try to do is they're like, well, all right, let's say they do, but it's the future and we want to talk about equality and everything. So let's have some of the dudes also wear those miniskirt outfits. So there would be like a guy in the background working in engineering with a weird little miniskirt on. And then they just got rid of the skirts altogether. They're like, everyone just wears pantsuits from now on. This is not working. <laughs> but it was interesting to see them try to reconcile that. And then they're like, yeah, forget it. Yeah, well, in Star Trek, they the original Star Trek, they really didn't. Obviously, they were going for the sex element, too. Right. And, and that was not a big problem. Yeah. <laughs> just... Get those little skirts on, and all the women wore those little short skirts. And uh, yeah, and I guess uh, I guess the other this the last thing to ask, I guess before we kick this off, is just uh, what was it like back then? Of like how how quickly because it only lasted for three seasons. How quickly did like the Star Trek phenomenon happen? Like, did you were you just kind of did you know about it right from the start, or was it a thing you kind of heard about and slowly? You know what? I don't really remember how I started watching Star Trek or how I learned about it. It just seemed to be there one day, and uh, somebody was either moving channels around, and there it was, or you know, remember I'm from a very large family. It could be that somebody in our house had been to somebody else's house and said, "Man, you should see this stuff." Um, and that is possible that that's how we got into it because we were living on Campobello Island at the time when that started and they were able to pick up channels that the rest of Canada couldn't pick up like New oh, Brunswick couldn't. Oh, because we were by the states. Yeah, because we were very states. close to the states so it is possible that yeah, one of my brothers was off visiting somebody else's house and they saw like an NBC show or something being broadcast from the states so we just clued into it. But I, I don't really remember. I just know that the first time I saw it, I said, oh, man, I love this show. And was it uh, was it just that it was a like a, a high-quality space show, or was the idea of a space show new? Like, I don't know my timeline of, like, no, there were space, space 1999. Show. There were always space shows. Space Family Robinson. Space, <laughs> there were always space things okay. and space movies and space. Yeah, because I guess the stuff we watched, like the yeah, Flash Gordon, Flash Gordon and, right? You know, Buck Rogers, stuff. all that. There was that stuff was always around. There was something about it. Um, it probably was. It's very simple sets, but it's it always had this message. And it, of course, it had sex, and it had a good looking captain, and it had this weird guy with the funny looking ears. Uh, but it had there was something that that drew you to it right away, and. I think part of it was that it always had this underlying message, morality of some kind, that you could watch it on a very simple level of going to a planet and having a fight with the, the aliens and then whatever happened there. But there was always this underlying issue that was going on in the world at that time. Segregation. Uh, uh, Russians. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. And, and it addressed those things. So, yeah, it was, a, it was a real magnet, that thing. Oh, yeah, one other thing. So this episode, yeah, it's like episode 28 of season one or something. It's like they, they got things rolling at this point. They know what they're doing. But another thing I remember from uh, Leonard Nimoy's biography is if you ever watch the very first episode again, where I think it's like they had a pilot with Captain yes, I've Pike. Yeah, i seen that, yeah. And then uh, maybe they reworked it, I'm not sure. But at the end, you know, during the big final, okay, everything's okay, credits are about to hit. Uh, Spock is just smiling with a great big smile <laughs> because it was the first one they ever did. And he said when he saw it back, he was like, oh, I can't, I'm not supposed to do that. <laughs> You're still like getting the hang of being a now Vulcan. That pilot, I didn't see until 
oh my god i'm going to say i was probably about 30 years old when i saw that pilot for the first time i had no idea it even existed so when i started watching them it was kirk captain kirk right and so. when i first saw that that pilot it wasn't the pilot that i saw it was an yeah. actual star trek that they showed him going and it was a, a backflash yeah i think i've seen he's, that too, he's yeah. in like a wheelchair or a, or something where he's he's totally immobile from the from the neck down and it's some kind of space tribunal thing right yeah that's right and they, they bring the pilot show into create the show for that thing that's right it's a he's he's on uh being court-martialed for something right like a sneaky way to uh actually use that footage because <laughs> they can't just make it a normal episode yeah. instead like, of saying to everybody oh tonight we're going to show the original pilot they they actually incorporated it into the series itself must be weird too in those cases because we watched a, a bunch of different weird pilots and stuff while we're doing this podcast like if you're the guy who played captain pike it must be like ah oh, bummer like i didn't get to be the main guy but then the show got so famous and uh Kirk is such a famous character that you must be like, yeah, they made the right choice. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, it sucks it wasn't me, but I'm not William Shatner. Like, it just wouldn't have been the same. Uh, yeah, so anyway, yeah, let's watch this, and then we'll take a break in between the two Star Treks. So, yeah, season one, episode 28, The City on the Edge of Forever. Yeah, that's a very uh, odd episode, like definitely not a typical Star Trek episode in any way, but it is good. I can see why people put that on their well, list. there were a few like that, though. Now, now, yeah, I mean, that one had a lot, of, a lot of stuff going on in an hour, but there were others. They all were, like, simplistic. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, maybe uh, when I was saying we were watching it, uh, I guess not simplistic so much, it's just the... Uh, the protracted time period is surprising that they show up weeks early and they have to get jobs and stuff like most of the episodes when i think of them it's like that day's problem yeah. maybe a couple of days yeah and but they did a really good job of explaining all of that that yeah like because normally you'd say well okay if they're there like how do they support themselves right uh how do they eat how do they but but all of that was answered they got they got work as soon as they got there yeah, and I even was saying as we were watching it, I kind of like like the fact that Joan Collins just finds them in uh, a basement, and they admit Kirk admits they stole some clothes, like the very weird behavior. But then you find out it's a mission, and she works with homeless guys all the time, so it's like, oh, okay, this is not yeah, that out of line. Believable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then it's funny, yeah, that she's because you know it's uh, okay, so time for the soup kitchen to feed everybody but first you got to listen and traditionally it would be like you know you got to listen to the jesus person talk about god <laughs> but she talks about space someday we'll go into yeah. space <laughs> it's a little silly but it fits very well with star trek well then that fits into the the thing later on that her death if, if she hadn't died and there had been an earlier peace movement and there hadn't been the development of um 
well, the Americans joining the war uh, and putting the hold on the on the Nazis. Um, you know, that's kind of, well, yeah, because she's kind of one of these futuristic babes who takes control of everything and yeah, and that know, is you a, kinda, can kind of buy it. And it is a very, that's a very bizarre plot. Like, I feel like that's where you can feel the Harlan Ellison coming in because it's so at odds with the normal story of Star Trek, which is you want peace, you want togetherness, you don't want war. But in this case, it's like, man, she had this peace movement that uh, made World War II go the way of the Germans because the Americans didn't join the war. So she had to die. I was like, what a weird story. It's actually pretty cool. And and yeah, I'm glad that they didn't lean too heavy on, you know, it's like, oh man, this sucks. We came back in time to get McCoy and this lady that helped us, she seems pretty cool. Oh, but then we find out she has to die. Darn. But then Kirk's got to throw in the, but I love her, Spock. <laughs> that, that's like, that's where Spock should just be like, hey, I'm the captain now. Get the fuck out of here. But they didn't have a big development of love interest. Yeah. He said he was in love with her, and you could tell that he was very fond of her, but they didn't dwell on that, and they didn't create a whole storyline with that. It was just Yeah, that's where it's a, a benefit that it's like, without commercials, it's like 48 minutes. Because if this was a whole hour and a half movie, that would have been a whole thing, and that would have been horrible. Well, and if that had been one done today, they would have developed a love interest. They would have gone to bed together and yeah. all that stuff. But, but uh, it's, it's just so funny, because I was saying as we're watching it, that like the later captains, whether you like them or not, they're much more militaristic. You know, they they have, here's the, the code of the military that we have to follow. I just can't imagine any other captain in the history of Star Trek ever giving a shit that they have feelings for a person who needs to die to save history. Like, everything will be fucked up if this lady doesn't die. It is not relevant that you like her, Kirk. But that's, <laughs> but that's what makes him the character that he is. Yeah. A real standout. He's not just your standard army guy or right. space guy or captain guy. He's, no, he's, he's his own man. There is, too. It's actually a really good episode where... Uh, they do kind of deal with this a little, and there's a Next Generation episode where Picard, he regrets his own past, because when he was young, he got in a lot of fights and was more of a Kirk-type guy. And he's like, oh, man, I really, you know, set myself back in my career, and I'm embarrassed by it. And something happens that he's able to go back and change that stuff. But because he's this meek science officer who doesn't get in fistfights and stuff, he never becomes a captain. And he gets to see that alternate future where he never succeeded in anything. So they do kind of deal with that in Next Generation. Like, they still do believe to be a proper captain, yeah, you gotta you gotta have some fire. You gotta get in a fist fight when it's time to get in a fist fight or whatever. But yeah, Kirk really, he takes it pretty far. <laughs> you know? But Kirk is also the, not the kind of captain or in-charge guy who just gives orders, which which is what you usually see in these type of shows. The higher-up who's in charge, just you do this, you do that, you do this. He gets deeply involved himself, so he's he's unique. Yeah. But yeah, that was cool. Again, like if I was going to just show somebody who'd never seen Star Trek one episode, I would not show them that one because it's so weird and they're barely on the ship at all. But for us, who we know the shit out of Star Trek. It's like, yeah, I'm glad, and I'm glad I finally watched it because I definitely had never seen it before. And I can see why it's such a famous episode because it definitely stands out just for nothing else, just to see Spock in jeans. <laughs> it's like, wow, that's pretty weird. But yeah, that was cool. So uh, the episode of Next Generation, again, I picked the one 
because the, there's a couple little crossovers where in the very early episode, I think the very first episode, McCoy is in it just because even though it's 70 years later, he's just still alive because it's, you know, the 21st century or 25th, whatever the fuck. <laughs> yeah, wait, it's 21st now, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like the 24th century. People just live longer. So McCoy is just in the show as a really old guy. And then in one of the movies, um, Picard and Kirk meet, you know, sometime, whatever's. And, uh, but this one with Scotty, to me, is the best of all of the bringing the old show into the new show episodes. And yeah, I just, just remembered it. So I'm like, hey, you know, if that's the first thing that comes to mind, seems like a good one to pick. funny to watch that one in particular i mean maybe i don't know it's hard to say it's been a while since i've watched next generation in general and the only thing i remembered about that really clearly is that part where scotty goes into the old enterprise which i still think is awesome that that scene is excellent and him and picard just talk about their old ships but yeah the rest of that episode was really dry <laughs> very technical yeah because like that that is like another thing another joke they make about next generation is the techno babble like that they always are blabbing about emitter arrays and whatever but i think it's worse than usual here because it's about Jordy and Scotty in the engineering bay so it's twice as much as normal but they still do that all the time and yeah i don't know i don't know that i've ever watched old and new star trek back to back like that but you can really feel the difference like the uh, the original Star Trek was more involved in the storyline and the drama. They talked technical stuff, too. But it was always very quick. Right. Yeah, and, they, they really went on with this one. Let's right? get on with it. You know, here here's the answer. Here's what we need to do. And let's get on with it. This one, oh, no, they really kept throwing it at you. Technical, 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 technical. And really, the little action pack stuff that they had was very minor in this thing. There was nothing where you even cared whether they got out of that hole that the ship had gone into or not it's like you hardly even realized they were in there as i was saying when we were watching it like it's funny because yeah they find this dyson sphere and they're just uh doing data research they're just gathering data and it's like yeah that probably is like you got to expect they can't have an adventure all the time most of the time they probably are just surveying parts of the universe that people haven't been to but it is weird to see it (laughs) like i feel like even for this show which is a lot calmer than the original that was a very calm episode that's weird (laughs) it was very it was very dry yeah because like they do have stuff like particularly q have you ever seen q he's like the super advanced being who he just shows up to fuck with picard basically and he's always like showing them alternate realities and making them do stuff and he's basically magical he's like a trickster you know he's like imp what's the guy from midsummer night's dream puck he's like that okay so and and at the end like jordy's telling that story about the gigantic space baby that thought the enterprise was its mom you know like weird shit does happen 
but not in that episode. <laughs> that episode was just engineering, baby. So yeah, I mean, again, I guess the same thing. Like if I was going to show somebody just a one episode, that's not a good one to pick. It's not a good one. But but I still love it just for that scene. I feel like that scene where he, where Scotty goes onto the old bridge and it just shows also how it's such a it's a neat reference to the old show. And that's why Captain Picard is so awesome. Like that's why he's such a good captain character because even though he's you know, keeping his calm and being very stately and not losing his head and not falling in love with random women from the past and just all the weird shit that Kirk does. But he's still like, he's the guy that will just drink the hard liquor with Scotty and can, But you know. I think it was a wise move, not not, not based on this, this episode, because really I that didn't really turn my crank. But I think it was a smart move to pick a starship captain that was not a replica of of james kirk right you know you, if you really want to show development and yeah you pick somebody entirely different because you would have somebody everybody wouldn't be like captain kirk um so i think picard was a very good choice for that and uh, to, yeah he's completely different he's not overly dramatic he's he's calm when he makes his decisions uh, yeah, he's not a womanizer. And he just has a lot of gravitas. It yeah. seems important when he says stuff, yeah. you know? Yeah, and he's And he's uh, he's very attractive. I can see women, like, wanting to watch that show because they like that uh, that sort of senior quietness about him. And even that, like, uh, you know, we think of him as the old guy captain, but he just went bald young. Yeah. You know, he went bald in his 30s, I think. Like, he's always been bald, so he's he's not actually that old in this show. Because even now, he's in a, a Star Trek show as we speak. He's got an <laughs> appeal. He, he, he has, a, he has a, but it's an entirely different appeal than, than Kirk. And, yeah, you don't want to always just keep using the same characters over and over and over again. If you're creating a new vision... You have a different character. And that's where you can tell Gene Roddenberry was still behind this show. Because, yeah, he's like, all right, let's have a different captain. Let's not have a Vulcan. Let's have an android. Let's have a Klingon. Like, no low-hanging fruit. You know, even weird stuff like uh, Counselor Troy. That one of the main characters is a counselor. That was really weird, especially in the 80s. You know, that was still sort of a taboo thing. Whereas after Roddenberry passed away, you can really tell the other shows are just... Let's have a let's have a Vulcan. Let's just do the same thing over and over and over. Yeah. You know, they're just trying to retread Star Trek, and then uh, when they realized it wasn't working, then they try to change it, and that doesn't work either. So yeah, like you can, as different as this is, you can feel that Gene Roddenberry wanting to push the boundaries thing. But comparing the two shows, there was so much happened in that first. Star Trek that we watched. I mean, in an hour, he couldn't believe all the activity that happened in that and up and down drama. And uh, this one, in an hour, it was like, oh my God, if I have to hear another technical thing. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, what's happening here anyway? Is anything happening? And really, there was nothing happening other than us being educated as to a whole lot of what, how that thing operated, how the ships operated. I wonder if people just like that techno babble because maybe it vicariously makes them feel like they're just at a job that they're good at. 
you know, <laughs> like just wa watching people on the bridge spouting a bunch of shit that makes no sense. And everyone goes, oh, genius. And you get to watch it and think like, yeah, if I was there, I could be one of those smart yes. people. Whereas in the original, they, there was very, very little of that. They just kind of made you accept that this is the future. You don't have to know how these things operate or you don't have to accept how we get from here, there or wherever. We're in the future. That's just how it is. <laughs> Isn't it funny, though? Like, yeah, maybe there's a happy balance between the two. Because in this, so they find the Dyson Sphere, and most of the episode is just literally us surveying it and just scanning it and just doing clerical work. Where in that Star Trek original episode, original series episode we watched, they found a sentient portal that could teleport you back in time, and they barely gave a shit. I mean, I guess... Kirk probably threw it in his captain's log, and he's like, yeah, eventually, I don't know, we'll tell someone back home when we get there if we found this thing. Like, they should, that should be their life's work from that point on, to study this thing and figure out what it is. But they're like, ah, no time. Next week, we'll find yeah, another just thing. Just accept it. Yeah. And even when they finally resolved the, the, the issue at the end and the girl dies and uh, they have found uh, uh, McCoy, they just come back through the portal, and that's it. Okay, we're back on the ship. Yeah. Well, I guess one last thing I will say, though, that I did really like about the Next Generation episode is how how uh, weirded out Scotty is that there's a Klingon on the ship and part of Starfleet. And then you're like, oh, that's a funny little joke. But right at the end, he's saying goodbye to everybody. And it's a little corny, like, oh, all the main characters of Next Generation get to shake the hand of, of Captain Scott. But, <laughs> but he just kind of gives Worf the side eye and just yeah. is like, ugh. <laughs> well, because you have to remember now, in his time, the Klingons were the enemy. Yeah. They were always the bad guys.